are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNB Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. I'm your host, Colin Austin, and my co-host is a working man with half a plan. With uh, half a plan? Yeah, with half a plan, the always charming Michael Dees. That was pretty accurate today, actually. I had half of a plan <laughs> really? today. Okay. But I mean, I, it came through. I don't write this. <laughs> but uh, Did you was, start with half a plan, or did it just happen that it became half I, a plan? I probably started with a quarter of a plan, and then it got to half by lunch time and then by the end of the day it was a full plan so okay. it worked out all right <laughs> uh, well let's just keep on going um today on the show we have the owner of essential training concepts and founder of the ignite stories of leadership podcast and an amazing business of the year co-host mrs vicky guy Hi. Hi. How are you? I am. Long time no see. I know. It's been like, I don't know, just a few days. <laughs> <laughs> so for everybody who's listening on Martin Luther King Day, January 20th, um, we uh, we actually recorded this on December 11th. And last week, Vicki and I co-hosted the Greater Gainesville Chamber Business of the Year Awards. And it was a lot of fun. It was fun. Like we yeah. crushed it. I think so. I've got, actually, I've had a lot of people reach out to me being like, man, you guys were so entertaining. That was really great. Um, even in fact, like, so Carissa Blazer, I saw her today and she was like, she, she was like, yeah, you guys were just so good. You know, like the, the energy I wasn't expecting like that, uh, you know, just that, uh, entertainment type mm-hmm. value. So that was good. That's good. It was I definitely, good about it. it was definitely a different type of awards show. Don't you think? Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, who, I feel like when we go or like you ever go to those things, it's just very much like cut and dry award, you know, nominees, winner, blah, 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 which is great. But I'm like, no, we got to like, we got to, we got to spice it or up. Or sometimes you get the host that tries too hard. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, like there were some like scripted parts that were kind of lame, but they were kind of like intentionally no. lame. No. <laughs> <laughs> not, not like the stuff that you wrote. I'm just talking about the stuff that I wrote. <laughs> so anyway, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, fun. I think they need, I think the chamber needs to have us back. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I'm sure there's, I know there's, I know, I'm sure there's, I know that there's plenty of other amazing Gainesville stage talents. Uh, but we did really well. I think they'll have us back. <laughs> so we need to like make that happen. So just uh, you stay know, away ca- from call, controversy. Call, email the chamber and say, oh, you guys need to have Vicky and Colin back because that was awesome. And we'll do it again. So and we had like a little clip with the um, with the DeLorean, the time machine. Mm-hmm. We went back in time. Mm-hmm. We went back in time. It was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe, maybe, we get that, maybe we can get that cut in. Maybe we can cut that into the podcast so people can see it and see us climbing out of this time machine. It's, it's pretty <laughs> you, mean, you mean falling also, out of the DeLorean? He'll also edit it to make him look good. You yeah. know, like, I, I don't think that's <laughs> what, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? We're talking about how, uh, pre, pre-roll, get we're talking about how here. you don't edit it. But, well, we don't. <laughs> But you'll, you'll cut in things to make yourself look good as well. I mean, like a DeLorean it, time machine. It's hard, it, it's hard not to look good in a DeLorean time machine. I mean, shout out to Failing's Defense Systems. Right. You know, James Coates for letting us borrow Early his time podcast. machine. Yeah. What a, uh, I mean, not 14. everybody has a time machine. So that was pretty special. Yeah. It was, it was cool. And he let us record it. And I don't know. It was just a lot of fun. But anyway, <laughs> we, can, we can move on. So today is Martin Luther King Day. It so is, yeah. Everybody's probably got like a little holiday just taking the day yeah, off. Usually it's a day off. Uh, our team will be off. Okay. Um, so do you have yeah. a do you have a favorite uh, MLK quote? I mean, leadership. We're probably gonna get into leadership on in this podcast. Do I do have a, a couple quotes actually? Okay. Um, your, so my my favorite, favorite all time MLK quote is um, and and gosh, I mean, I hope I can actually get this right. Um, is is darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That one's always really resonated with me. Two other ones. Uh, uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Okay. And and the one like from a professional standpoint, um, the time is always right to do what's right. So those Love are it. those are my three MLK quotes. And you just knew them like that. That's good, man. <laughs> Inspiring me. <laughs> That's why you have me as your co-host, right? <laughs> like it's not even written on the paper or anything. Like you just like that's great. He memorized it. I mean, How about he that? just knows them. Yeah. That's awesome. If you ever get a chance to go to the memorial there, it's it's relatively new in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really good one. 
I mean, they're all good, but like, it's relatively new, and, and they did a really good job with it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, I mean, let's just, let's get into the show, man. We're probably gonna, I mean, coming off MLK, I mean, we're gonna be talking, you know, some leadership stuff today. I'm certain. <laughs> So let's uh so let's get into this. So Vicky, you you watched five minutes of one of our podcasts before. <laughs> That's not true. I've watched several uh, several episodes for several minutes. Uh, just play. There you go. Okay. So uh, the <laughs> you guys, I can give her a hard time now because we've like we've you built we, a rapport. We built, yeah, we built this rapport, this friendship over the last month of doing getting ready for this award show and like writing the script and everything else. So. Um, so we like to start. We like to start with your story. Uh, I want to. I want to dive in. How, how did you get to where you are today? Mm-hmm. Why are you in Gainesville? You know, why are you traveling all over the place, doing leadership consulting and all this kind of stuff? So mm. give us give us the story. That's a big question. Really, I mean, lots of different parts of that question. Um, I came to school to go to college here. Okay. Um, so I ended up in Gainesville. I'm not going to tell you what year it was because. That'll just be revealing too many things. <laughs> but it was a long time ago. And um, so I came to school and um, you know, I wanted to be a teacher. That's what I really, really wanted to be. And I, I think I wanted to be a teacher since I was like five. And then I got derailed. And so I graduated college and I went into sales. Loved sales. And um, you know, was was enjoying sales and uh, it just kind of took off from there, and I kind of forgot about the, the teaching thing, and and went into sales, and then got promoted, and then got promoted, and got promoted. And I was with one company for like seventeen years here in Gainesville. It was a pharmaceutical company, so I was on the road quite a bit. I had a team of people that reported to me in the southeast, and um, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot, but ultimately, somehow, I found my way back to teaching, and I think that happens to a lot of people. I think we find out somehow through the decisions we make or the experiences that we have, we kind of find our way back to what we're supposed to be doing. And that's exactly what happened to me. So in that company, I ended up in their corporate training center. And so no training in corporate training, no training in leadership development. They said, hey, do you want to be on this team and help train the leaders in the organization? And I'm like, uh, I don't even know how, like, where do I start? Like, what do I do? And they're like, just teach people what you do. And that's kind of how it all started. And that was in the early 2000s. So I was on this team. We had no budget. We had no experience. We just taught ourselves. We did a lot of research, a lot of reading. We just started going to conferences, talking to people. And we we wrote all of our own programs. We created our, our entire like university system for the organization. We facilitated all of our work. We... Um, followed up. We did all the marketing on a zero budget. So it's kind of like, kind of like starting a company when you start like from the entry level and you work your way up to become CEO. We kind of did that within the organization, like within learning and development of an organization. So that's how I how I got catapulted into learning and development. Okay. And so where are you at now? Because you're, so you're not with that company. You're doing your own thing. Mm, yeah. So I left there in 2013. Okay. And. Um, and then I moved into uh, another company, I moved to Orlando, and uh, this was a manufacturing company, so completely different industry, but I went into the learning and development team and I ran their global leadership development team. So now I took what I learned from sales and marketing and all that jazz and learning and development, and I now ran a global leadership development team, um, which was cool and interesting and scary all at the same time because I worked with leaders from different business units within this, this company. There was like 16,000 people in the company. So my role was to go out to the different countries and all the different business leaders within the different countries and try to get them to agree on how they want to train their leaders, which was, <laughs> which was really fun. <laughs> it was like an MBA <laughs> in leadership development and business execution all at the same time. So um, a lot of negotiation, a lot of you know, learning about different cultures, different uh, obviously different languages. People had different agendas, so um, it, it was pretty interesting. And then I left there in about 2017, and I've been doing consulting on my own since. So it's it was kind of like a, a accidental landing back into a, like a teacher almost role, but I'm not a teacher in the education system. Okay, so like. And what made you want to like start your own thing in 2017? Well, as you know, in over the last 20 years, the economy has gone up and down and up and down. And what I have found is that when companies 
um, start losing money, the first thing to go is like things like learning and development. Mm. So I saw over time companies grow and then lay people off, grow, lay people off, grow, lay, and that's tough for yeah. anybody to go through. So I saw it firsthand over and over. Um, and I was part of expansions, I was part of a layoff, I was part of expansions. Um, and finally, I just said, you know what? I've got all the tools, I've got all the resources, I've got all the energy that I really need to be able to do this on my own, and why not? So I, I set out to do my own consulting. Okay, so now you, so you've been doing that since 2017, mm-hmm. and how did you get your first clients, if you because you're traveling all over the place, right? Yeah, I am. So um, I've actually been doing consulting kind of on the side, as like a side gig almost, for a lot longer than that. So really since maybe 2010, I've been doing consulting and primarily through the University of Florida. So University of Florida hired me as a consultant and I would be a facilitator for their clients. So their executive education program where they had external clients, they would send me to be the facilitator for some of the leadership programs. So I started working with them and getting experience and meeting people through that. Um, and then, you know, ever since then, it's really just been a network of, you know, meeting different people, going to conferences, working in the manufacturing company for that those few years and the global role. I met a ton of people that would, you know, that I could reach out to that have helped me over time. And um, yeah, and of course, you know, my podcast has really helped me reach out to people and get some exposure. And um, so. So when did you start the podcast? Last February. Okay. Yeah. And so it's very, it's leadership focused. It is, right? yeah. Everything about it. Mm-hmm. All right, so how many, like, how many episodes or so have you done? I've done about 25 episodes. Okay. So it comes out every every two weeks. And are you just interviewing leaders from like all over the place? Like All over the place, yeah. So I literally just launched one this week. It was a woman who started a waxing company and I met her, um, I met her at a bar um, in Minneapolis. I was in Minneapolis working with a client and I was in the hotel lobby well, I know the bar, and I was having a glass of wine before I go to bed, and she was sitting next to me. We just struck up a conversation, and she was super cool. We just started talking about what she was doing, and her story was so amazing that I said, you know, I know you don't know me, but we just met, but I have this podcast. Do you want to be on it? And she's like, absolutely. So it's been amazing. Like, I meet people everywhere I go, and I end up having really interesting conversations about random things and then usually it ends up in some kind of fun story and so I've, I've actually been able to get people to come on through that way as well. Okay, yeah. do, you have a, do you have a favorite episode? I, I do, yeah. Okay. And I think it was a favorite because it has like the most views of all of my podcasts so far. Okay. Um, a girl in Kentucky and she doesn't have a big you know, business you know, title, she's not like the CEO of a company, but she leads a team, and then she also leads her daughters, some of her daughters, like, groups as well. Her message was so inspiring to me, like, she just, like, I found myself as I was asking her questions, like, I I felt like she was coaching me almost, like, I was getting all, like, motivated and inspired, (laughs) and I thought, wow, this is really cool, I hope everybody else, when they watch it, feel as inspired as I am because I don't know what it was about her. I can see how she's probably a great leader and she really leads her team with a ton of heart and inspiration because um, she certainly did that for me during the, during the episode. Okay, what, do you remember the episode number? No. What's her no. name? No, um, uh, Sarah Francis Martin. I'm gonna go look it up. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Mike, you got anything? I love that you're writing down. You're actually gonna listen to her podcast. And <laughs> I'm she, gonna go she, listen she, to she this listens, episode. Which is awesome, yeah, she, but she doesn't uh, listen to ours, so you I, know. I, I'm so little like, it's all right, I'll forgive her. In, in all fairness, I have listened, just not the entire podcast. <laughs> I mean, we, we I just, eight, I mean, 88 episodes. We just really like to give people a hard time. It's like one of our favorite things to do, especially if it's like on recording on a Wednesday night at yeah. nine o'clock p.m. I, who does that? Yeah. <laughs> so what was, your, what was your degree in uh, at US? Oh, so my degree was in speech therapy and audiology. Okay. Because, you know, I wanted to be a teacher. And, um, but I thought, I don't know if I want to be a teacher of like students, but I wanted to be a teacher of something. So I thought speech therapy and audiology makes total sense. I'll be teaching people how to speak, right? So um, after I got my degree, I actually worked in that for two years. And I am 
truly amazed at the people that have the patience to be able to do that because it takes a ton of patience. Mm -hmm. And I knew pretty quickly that wasn't for me. Um, I have patience, but not that, that type kind. of, <laughs> that kind yeah, of patience. I do know yeah. a few and I've heard some stories. Yeah. So hats off to them. I have a lot of friends that are in the field and they do great work, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't for me. So, so then you get into that sales job and then start kind of self, self-teaching self leadership mm. and everything. So can you trace it back to a moment or something you read or some kind of origin that you were like, you know, I could really see this being a career teaching leadership? Yeah, I, I vividly remember actually one day I was in, we had kind of a, a, several tracks of different courses and I was in one, I was facilitating one of the tracks and a manager came up to me after the session and he said, you know, Vicki, I've known you for a number of years, but we need more of that. What you did there, we need more of that. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't know who that was up there, but I've never seen that from you, we need more of that. And I realized at the time, like, this actually comes pretty easily for me in terms of facilitating in front of a group. Um, I, I enjoy taking concepts like, Colin, if you had a concept and Mike, you had a concept and you guys weren't sure how to connect the dots, bringing those two things together and creating some aha moments. Um, that's a gift that I've been given and I didn't realize it until he said that to me. And I went, ah, oh, this is pretty cool. Like I can actually create these aha moments for people and they don't even know it's happening until after the fact, right? So I think that was the first time that I, that I realized. Do you remember the topic that, it, that you were? I, I don't, I think it was, yeah, I don't remember the okay. exact topic, but I vividly remember him coming up to me after the session because, you know, I, I'm fairly private, I'm pretty quiet usually, and but we put me in front of a classroom or in front of a group of people, and it just changes. And I guess he had never experienced that, he had never seen me in that element, and he decided he was gonna tell me. <laughs> so I'm glad he did because um, I had never thought of it that way. Um, and so that really made me think, you know what, I really love this, and it seems to, to work, so. Yeah. Do you consider yourself a, an introvert or an extrovert? Or? Oh, I'm definitely an extrovert. You are an extrovert? Oh yeah, absolutely, okay. like off the chart extrovert, yeah. That's why, and you, you say that you are kind of an extroverted introvert, which I think a lot of people wouldn't agree with if they know you, but but I can kind of see that. I don't know, we did the one test or whatever, and the test said I was 67% extrovert. extroverted. Yeah. But like, you definitely get into your like don't bother me zone. Shannon says I'm to <laughs> my wife says I'm totally an introvert. And and I think it's this is what we've kind of narrowed it down to. When I'm in my element, like when I'm doing this, when I'm like business or when I'm on stage like doing an award show or speaking or like that's my element, I'm like total extrovert. I'm I love that stuff. But at you know afterward, like if I don't know, it's if you're at a social thing that's not your social thing. I'm at a social thing. thing that's yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good that's a good one. If I'm at a social thing, that's not my social thing. Um, I, you know, it, it's not that I don't like you know like the people or it's just it's almost it's almost as if like I just. <laughs> like, do you want me to save you here? Yeah, I was gonna say, throw, throw yourself a bone, <laughs> do you man. Me to, start, do you want like, me to save you? Out. I'm gonna start like digging a hole. Uh, so let me let me no, help no, you no, out. Uh, let me okay. Let me let me try to finish this thought. Okay. It's I I'm not a small talker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think like the relationships that I have, mm-hmm. they're uh, extremely valuable to me. I totally love to build new relationships with people. So if I meet somebody for the first time, then like, you know, like I want to establish like a, a relationship, a mm-hmm. friendship. And, um, and you know, if it's just like going to a party or a mixer or like, like thing, uh, I, I'm going, if, networking is even a good example. When I go networking, I go with the focus of trying to build one or two like real relationships. I'm not bouncing around the room, handing mm-hmm. out as many business cards as I can, doing small talk. I just don't like, I don't like small talk. I don't like, like I just, I, I want, I want meaningful relationships. So I mm-hmm. think that's why I'm that way. Mm-hmm. And so if I feel like I'm in an environment where I'm not going to be able to establish relationships with people who have the same values as me or have the same <laughs> interests as me, then Shannon's like, yeah, you'd be totally in the corner on your phone, <laughs> you know, so. Well, that makes sense, but you know, 
I'm definitely 100% extrovert. And I think that uh, I was going to share with you because, you know, I do a lot of work with this topic specifically. Okay. So I, I do a lot of stuff with like personality styles and I do Fun. use the Myers-Briggs, which actually talks about extroversion or mm-hmm. introversion. And it really is about where you draw your energy from. So it's not about how outgoing you are or how, like, how much you like to socialize, but it's how much energy you get from something. So if you're in a situation and you're energized by it, that's your extroversion coming out. If it just drains you and you have to go home and sleep for three days after a party, that's probably a more introverted approach. So I know that when I go to a party and my husband's with me, he's a bit more introverted than I am. Um, He'll be exhausted and he'll be like, let's go. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, just getting ready. Like, I want to stay to the end. I want to meet every single person in the room and talk to everybody. Want to know what their kids' names are and their dogs' names. You know, (laughs) And he's like, can we go yet? (laughs) Kind of thing. I'm just petting the dog. um, (laughs) Your husband and I have a lot in common when it comes to that thing. Because, like, I'm very much much the same way. Like... <laughs> She's probably gonna hate that I like, talk about that. <laughs> she's like, you know, like people in the community know me too. Like, you can't but like, I mean, Chris she, is like, you're like, not talking about night. me, are you? Like, she would, like, she would yeah, she'd be like, I mean, she could if we went to a party, she could stay till two, three o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's like, mm-hmm. let's let's clock out, let's go. Yeah. Um. So I'm right. I'm right there. Like I totally get it. But I talk about this stuff all the time. Like in some of the workshops I do, is it's pretty amazing. Like if you were in a leadership role and you had, you're an extrovert by nature and you had a bunch of people on your team that were introverts, I've lived this so I know exactly how it feels. Sometimes you wonder like, wow, do they not like me? What's mm-hmm. going on? Like, why aren't they you know, responding in the same way that I am? And a lot of it has to do with just our styles. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny because I had a, I had a team member one time who was 100% introvert mm-hmm. and I, as, the leader of the organization. We have, you know, we have this very vibrant culture here at the shop. Like I kept, I kept trying to push this individual outside of their comfort zone, and and kept saying like, yo, like come, like come to the come to the party, come to the team hangout, come to this, come to that, you know, and and I think we went bowling or something. Huh? I said I think we went bowling or something. Yeah, as like, well. I mean, I don't even remember, <laughs> but like it was just I, I as the leader was like, man. Like this person, maybe this person doesn't care about the organization as much as like I would like them to. Like, like why doesn't he want to hang out with us? And like, I mean, it was just not. He was just that introverted. Mm-hmm. And and so like when we worked inside of an office environment, like we conflicted a lot, right? And then like he ended up, we ended up not like really working in a you know, employer employee relationship anymore. But we started but he started doing like some freelance stuff for us and he was like in his own elements at home and like we like talk more now than we did when <laughs> he was like you know what I mean? Like yeah. we, he was he was just I mean and, and he's great and he does great work and we have like a great friendship and it's he's you know, it's it's just kind of interesting. He comes by yeah. and visit every now and then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it comes, yeah, it comes by and visits and like Wait. it's kinda of interesting that that's I, I don't know. I mean, should I guess like we shouldn't really force people outside those comfort zones. I mean, or should we like as a leader? Mm. You know, I also look at like that. This person kind of they need to grow, right? They need to like be comfortable being uncomfortable. At least not all the time, but maybe at times. But so did or you? Is that like? Huh? I mean, but so did you in that situation. I mean, you're yeah. not, you weren't used to that as an employee, and so it was a growing opportunity for you as well. Yeah. Good insight. (laughs) Well, I think there's two sides of that, right? Like you said. Mm -hmm. Um, But one is, you know, I I call it the crucible. So, you know, a crucible, like you are put in a situation or or a situation is created around you where you are highly uncomfortable and you have, you can either kind of sink or swim, right? And so I always tell people in a leadership role, if you've got people on your team, that you think can do more, you can get more out of them, you can, um, you wanna test them a little bit without ha- letting them fail miserably. <laughs> like it's okay to fail, but not miserably so that they lose confidence or face or whatever in front of their team. Um, put them in a crucible, put them in a situation where they're gonna sweat it out a little bit so they can see how they react in a situation that they're not comfortable with. And then you'll learn a lot about them, they'll learn about a lot about themselves. Um, 
And sometimes it's hard to watch because you always want to like, we always want to like dive in and help people get through that. But I mean, experience is the best learning that we can possibly have. Right. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about when you go and you travel to a company and you're, you know, I mean, what is it? Is it like an hour session? Like what's the model here? Mm. Like, and what do you like? What do you go in and what do you execute? Like, what are the types of things that you're talking about? Are you doing like those personality assessments or like, I don't know what's, what's what do the I model? do? Yeah, what do you do? <laughs> what do I do? Like, <laughs> tell us. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of twofold. So I am one of those people, and I think it's because I have a background in sales and delivering results that I kind of owned my own company because it was such a large comp, uh, corporation, and I owned and I was responsible and totally accountable for the, the results of that portion of the company, that everything I do in learning and development, I look through that lens. Like, how is it gonna deliver results? So I'm a huge believer, like I will jump up and down and like, if someone says, hey, come on in and do a workshop on communication, I'll be like, so why? Why do you want me to do this? And what I found and have found is that we do a lot of training, we spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of energy, we spend a lot of money um, training people on things they don't really need, you know, or that don't actually help the business grow. So if it's just for like self-help and people want to go do it on the side, great. But if it's organizationally structured and you want to provide training for your team, it should actually link to your business imperative. So what do you want to do? So if someone says, hey, Vicki, come in and do like DISC training or Myers-Briggs or emotional intelligence or change management, name the topic and can be any of those. I won't actually do it until I know why. And then if they don't know why, then we back up. So my first step always when I engage with the client is I just do a bit of strategy with them. So we sit down and we talk about their goals. Um, I work. I go through a, a human design workshop with them to help them understand how what they want to do will help reach their goals. And then we put metrics around it. We measure it. It's pretty rigorous. And then we agree that this is the thing that's going to help move the needle. And then we decide when we're going to implement it. And sometimes it's me, sometimes it's somebody else. But at least it's not training just to do training. So what do I do? I help kind of like an architect. And then sometimes I deliver the solution as well. Are you meeting with the same clients over and over and over again? Or is it sporadic? I, I, like, have, it I have several re like clients or long-term clients. Okay. That because it, once we start doing the strategy, then you know I could be part of that strategy for two years. Um, or at least have some portion of that strategy for two years. So do you it serve just as like the accountability piece in that? Uh, what do you mean? Like, I mean, if you're if you're sitting down with them and you're talking about, you know, you're getting down to all right, why are we doing this? This is what's going to move the needle. You know, you're asking why, 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 and then you create a strategy, or they create a strategy with your help, and then you start moving with that strategy. I mean, are you like the person checking in, kind of like? All right, like where are we mm. after two months in this strategy? It depends on what they want me to do. Sometimes they want me to do that. Sometimes they'd rather have somebody <laughs> internal because some of it's confidential information, right? Some okay. of it, like I don't need to know all their financials or right, right, you know right. all of their insider information, but sometimes they do want me to at least check in just to kind of see how we're doing like on a scorecard or something. Okay. Yeah. So cool. it's, I know it sounds kind of cryptic. People are like, what do you do? Yeah. But <laughs> it's, I don't really have like a, you know, like a, I have a, I have a, a kind of a template for how I operate, but it's not a one size fits all. So I don't go in and say, here's what I offer. Which one of these five things do you want? It's really customized um, because I think that I don't want to waste anybody's time and I don't want to waste anybody's money. And if they're going to bring me in, I want to make sure that I help deliver results. So, so what's the greatest le leadership lesson that you've ever learned? Whew, that's a big question. That yeah, is. I've had so many of them. I've been in many crucibles. <laughs> I've uh, I've learned a lot. Um, the biggest leadership lesson I've learned. Well, <clears throat> I, I actually think there are several, but the one that comes to my mind first is in, um, whew, gosh, there's so many. I'm gonna choose two, okay? okay yeah. I'm gonna choose two. Um, in 2012, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with the Climb for Cancer Foundation right here in Gainesville. They're a great organization. They raise money for cancer research and all of the, the a lot of the costs that are associated with cancer treatment. Um, so I was on a team. We climbed Kilimanjaro. I'm afraid of heights, so that was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> and we, uh, I was at about 15,000 feet, 
and um, all of a sudden there was like this big slate rock, like really slick, kind of smooth rock. You know, we've been hiking on like rugged terrain, but this was like a smooth piece of slate and it was wet, so it was pretty slippery. And I look up and I see this thing just, you know, going up and I say, yeah, that's, I'm not doing that. And I try to go take one step and I slide, take another step and I slide. And I'll never forget one of my fellow climbers who is an experienced climber, he saw that I was struggling. Like, I, I think I may have been crying at this point. Like, I'm not doing this, right? Um, he came back down and he said, hey, Vicky, I have a question for you. How much did you pay for those boots? And I'm like, what? I mean, here I'm crying in 15,000 feet in the middle of Africa. And he's like, how much money did you pay for those boots? And I said, I don't know, like $150. And he said, so why do you think your boots cost $150? And I said, well, I don't know. Like, where, where are we going with this? And he said, you bought those boots specifically to get you up this rock. You have everything that you need. You have all the resources. How much did you train to do this? what I want you to do is I want you to take one step and I want you to put all your weight into your left foot. And I want you to feel your, your shoe, your boot grab onto the earth. And then when you feel it grab on, I want you to take another step with your right foot and I want you to feel the same thing. And I'm like, are you crazy? And so I, but I just trusted him. So I take a left step. It kind of, I felt it catch onto the earth and I'm like, oh, I took the right step and I'm like, yeah. And finally I like went all the way up the mountain what he called a hill at that point. <laughs> and what you asked me, that, that moment I realized that's probably the greatest leadership lesson is that we have everything we need. Like we, we are all individually um, leaders of our own right. We have all the resources, all the tools, all the knowledge, um, or we know where to get it, right? Especially in this age of technology, we can get information anywhere, help anywhere. But I think that was it. Like we, we don't have to do it ourselves. We have all the things that we need if we know how to ask for it. And I think above everything in anything we do as a leader, we, we need other people to help us. So I think that was a, one of the biggest leadership lessons I've ever learned. I'm so glad yeah. that you summarized that up because I thought the lesson was going to be like about a particular pair of boots. And I'm like, where do I get these boots from? Yeah. They, I loved those boots. I thought those boots were like magical. I'm like, yes. Magical boots. I mean, but they do. They serve a purpose. And they, I was able to test that out. So it's good. That's, yeah. That's a good story. I like that story. Yeah. All right. So there's a second one? Um, gosh. So I think the second one... Um, well, I think this is a little bit more simple, um, and it's really just advice that I got from one of my mentors. Um, as I, when I was a new manager, I was in my early 20s, and he gave me some advice that I probably didn't take at the time, but as I've grown over the years, I've learned that this is really good advice, and I should have, I should have listened to him a little bit sooner. And he said, <clears throat> he said, you know, Vicki, you can't make anybody do anything. So what I want you to do is I want you to treat all of the people that work on your team like you're, they're the best customer you possibly have. Create a human connection with them, inspire them, motivate and empower them, and they will do what they need to do. I thought, oh, that sounds super easy. <laughs> so I, that, I don't know if that was a lesson, but I, I will never forget that advice that I got from my mentor at that point in time because I, I think a lot of things that I do now, I root in that you know, you can't make people do anything, right? You, you can only inspire and empower and motivate them to do something. But, you know, we always think, well, I told them to do this a hundred times and they're still not doing it or whatever. Well, it's because they don't want to. And so how can you empower somebody or inspire them to want to do something? So that's a huge lesson that I'm still not sure if I actually all, you know, always get, get it right anyway, but mm -hmm. uh, it's a good one. What's, what do you think is the like, if you had to summarize leadership into one <clears throat> characteristic, because there's so many, right? Like, what's that one characteristic for you? I, hands down, it's human connection. Because if you're not connecting with somebody else and they're not following you, you're not a leader. Like, you can't be a leader without a follower, and you need a human connection for that. I mean, you can be technically really good at something. You know, you can be technically good, and that's usually when you get promoted into a role where now you're the boss or a manager, you're a leader, 
but we don't, and we think because we're technically good, people are going to just automatically follow us. But that's where most people struggle, right. is they get into positions where they've been promoted because they were good at their job, and now they've got people reporting to them, and they're like, why aren't they doing what they're supposed to do? I've told them 10 times, right? And it's because they're not inspiring, motivating, empowering them. They're just kind of telling them or thinking they'll do it just like you do it. Not you, Colin, but. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so who's your favorite leader? Do you, have, do you have somebody that you like follow, staying? Well, some of my favorite um, teachings, there, there was a book, it's an older book, probably a, I think a book that is um, the basis for most leadership books today. So if you read this book, you'll probably hear it over and over in any book you read. And that was the book by Napoleon Hill. And it was, it was actually written in like 1940 or something like that. Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. In that book, it, it was like the first leadership book ever, but magical. Like the stuff that's in there will change the way you think, the, change the way you operate. And like I said, every book that I've read ever since on leadership talks about something from that book. So I, I tend to go back. I actually, I refer to it quite a bit. Um, I'm a huge fan of mastermind groups. I have created a couple mastermind groups of my own just on the fly with people just to, you know, if I'm feeling like stuck in something where I don't know how to move forward, I'll just call a couple of people and be like, hey, do you wanna be part of my mastermind group? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And you know, I've really created some great human connection and got some great advice because collectively when we think about things, you have so much more power than when you do it yourself. So I think he's a good one, Napoleon Hill. Okay. I need to go back and like reread that one. I've read it before, but it's been a while. It's an oldie. I feel like I need like a refresher. It's an oldie, but a goodie. Yeah. So is this uh, so is this group that I heard about like is this considered a mastermind group? I'll, I'll like clarify for for yeah. our audience, but like today, so today I was actually at a you know Kristen Hadid was in town and she did like a leadership uh, retreat. It was very goal oriented, a lot of self reflection, and a lot of it was some deep stuff. Like, man, like, you say oh, that like, like it made you uncomfortable. I, I mean, I like some of it, not uncomfortable, but but yes, uncomfortable. Like for my, but for myself, because right. it was like you you start really reflecting and diving deep into things that you normally don't think about on the day to day, and it's very it gets it got like super. Uh, I don't know, just like emo I mean, it was it was solid. It was mm -hmm. just very. I want to say like emotion driven in a lot of ways. Um, but like that was like 38 new friends that I have now <laughs> that we all had. We just got very open and vulnerable with each other and everybody was willing to like really put their hearts out on the table and talk about some of the challenges within their organizations or personal life. And I think that it just was super, super real. Um, but and we how had, cool is that? Cause yeah. now you've created a connection. See oh, what for I mean? sure. Yeah, for absolutely. sure. And, uh, and one of our mutual friends was, was there with me. So uh, shout out to Carissa Blazer of Pure Aesthetics. Um, but so she's in, so Carissa is in a woman's group, is that woman's group with mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. And you guys, so you guys have this, how many people are in this group? So over the last, I've been in the group for about 10, 12 years now. And it's, uh, over it's time, it's not been the same group over okay. time, but it's been you know, plus or minus two or three every now and then, okay. you know, Dang. for, for the most part, it's been the same core seven people and we meet once a month and we trade stocks. Okay, so, but do you consider this like a mastermind? No, it's actually, it, it's, it's like an, well, so a mastermind group by definition is a group of people that are like-minded that come together for a certain goal. Okay. So I guess by definition, yes, it's a mastermind group, but our goal is to really learn about finances, investing, and if we can make some money doing it, great. So we all, we buy in and we, um, we buy stocks and sell stocks. And sometimes we have speakers come in and teach us about investing or um, different types of investing. And then we also have some wine. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes every mastermind yeah. group way better. Definitely. So, uh, I mean, you can tell me that I'm asking too deep of questions, I guess, but like how much, like what's the pool like? Like are you guys, I mean are we pulling like a hundred bucks from everybody or is it like somewhat substantial? I mean what are you guys, what are you guys doing? Well, 
<laughs> I'm just like really interested. I think this is fascinating. Yeah. So I'll tell you, there's a, a buy-in. I can't, I can't tell you, Tell, or yeah, I'd have to yeah, kill you what okay, the buy-in okay. is. But um, so we all buy in. So we do have a pool of money, and over time it grows. So we recently, I can tell you that recently, because the market has done so well, we had a distribution. Okay. And so when we distributed, we were able to lower our buy-in so we could get new members in. So because our value was so high that we couldn't, nobody would buy in because then it was too. So we actually distributed a bunch of our stocks to all the members so that we can lower the buy-in to get some new people. This is cool. I it's a, it's this. actually an LLC. We have an LLC. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think this is awesome, man. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I heard uh, Carissa talking about it a little bit today, and I'm just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's uh, amazing. I, I mean, know. I feel like that's so so cool. Yeah. Like a new age poker night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously though, I mean, yeah. I'm gonna. If you want to start one of these with me, you guys like. Should, Email me. <laughs> All you need oh, is like wanna, a try this. Like, like an E-Trade account. And, yeah. and you too can have a mastermind investment group. Right. With wine. I, I With did. wine. <laughs> I dig it, man. <laughs> That's super, super cool. Yeah. What else you got, man? So, I mean, I, from the climbing Mount Kilimanjaro to the stock trading, I've, kind of, <laughs> I know. Like, I've gone all over the place. That's I kind of want to get back to... Um, we were talking about as you as you consult different groups, and I think in Gainesville, obviously there's a lot of young talent, and, and one of the... We'll say hurdles is is the difference between like generational talent. You got you have a older group of management versus new incoming talent, um, and sometimes that doesn't work or they don't see eye to eye or that that's just a learning curve for both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what kind of uh, advice or what kind of strategies do you put forth to, to solving that problem? Yeah, I get this question all the time, and people don't typically like my answer. Mm. <laughs> So I'll, I'll just give you a couple disclaimers, not really disclaimers, but just a couple things to think about first. But this is the first time in history that we have five generations in the workplace, like ever. That's kind of weird, right, to think about. Yeah. There's five generations in the workplace. So it's no surprise that there's a little bit of confusion. Like, you know, we all, we don't think alike. We all are kind of motivated in different ways. I mean, I know that right now, the generations that are that are coming into the workforce, there's a perceived sense of entitlement. And I don't know that that's true, but there's that's the perception that there's this entitlement factor. And somebody like me who, I, mean, I put myself through college by working three jobs. Pretty sure I don't feel entitled because everything I have, I've had to work super hard for. And then if I have somebody on my team that comes from a generation where that's not the case and they feel and that can create conflict. So I think that's probably those types of things, not necessarily that example, but those types of things are creating a little bit more conflict. Also, the digital age, um, you know, generations that are that are coming into the workforce now, they're more digitally savvy. They are, you know, I mean, some people know what Venmo is, some people don't have never heard of it, right? Like, so things like that, like simple things are really creating a lot of confusion. But what I typically tell people is at the end of the day, there is no difference in generations on how to motivate somebody, how to inspire somebody. People are people. And we all want to feel valued. We all want to feel like we are part of something bigger. We all want to have a purpose. And if we can help everybody feel that way, no matter what generation they're from, then we're going to have a lot more success in leadership than by trying to understand like, okay, well, how are they motivated? How are they motivated? They're just people. And there's all different kinds of things like technology, experience, perceived entitlement or whatever, but people are people. And human behavior is, hasn't really changed over the last 100 years. So that's my thought on that. All right, so it's kind of circling back to the gentleman I was talking about earlier where we, I was really trying to push him outside of his comfort zone, mm-hmm. right? Like, because I'm like, all right, this is, this is how we grow. Um, but with five generations in the workplace, and I mean, and you're talking about things like Venmo technology, you know, in a in a dealership like this, or I mean, any any business, right? Let's just say any any business. Like uh, a leader might be like, all right, hey, in order to increase communications, we're going to implement using a Slack channel. Mm-hmm. We need everybody to download the app Slack, and we're going to send you a link. Get everybody. And then you get pushback, yeah. right, from the older uh, team members, <laughs> right? And so, uh, 
from a leadership standpoint, like, is it more important for me to communicate with those team members where they're comfortable or is it my responsibility to get them to get outside of their comfort zone and download Slack <laughs> as a 60 year old and say, suck it up and do it? Right. Um, so, this is a good question. It is a good question. <laughs> and I'm I feel like, like I'm there's really excited for this. Is this a real situation? Uh, I mean, it could, it could be. be. I, mean, I don't know. Kind of yeah. hypothetically. <laughs> I mean, like. Yeah. So I always. So, this is what's so great about the podcast. Like, literally, I answer like. All the, I ask all the questions of re- related to problems that I have. This is our mastermind group. This is our This is a mastermind group. This is, absolutely. And, uh, and I just know that what's funny about it is like, there's so many other people that can completely empathize with that for situation sure. right now. Like everybody's like, oh my gosh, yes, thank you Colin for asking that. Yeah, so here, here's, there's a couple things going on, right? One is somebody's not doing what you want them to do, right? So. I guess you gotta know why. So a good question I always tell people is like, help me understand like what's going on, what's holding you back? Because we're, we're implementing this thing, seems like you're having to struggle with it, what's stopping you from doing it? Just uncover like what's their roadblock? And they might go, well, I don't know how, I don't like, you're gonna figure out something. And then you can support them, help them, maybe train them. Maybe this person doesn't know how to do it and is embarrassed that they don't know how. The answer is, they don't want to change. It's always worked the same way they've done it forever. Hmm. <clears throat> we don't like change. People people don't like change. Yeah, people don't like change. So the I have to download an app yeah. on my smartphone, hmm. and I have to like use my thumbs to like <laughs> yeah. like type in a message. Yeah. I don't understand why. Yeah. yeah. So there's also have you ever heard of the Kurt Lewin change model? I think I got that right. Mm-mm. The Kurt Lewin change model. It's this whole thing about freezing, un, uh, re, uh, freezing, unfreezing, and refreezing. So basically, before change, things are status quo. Everyone's pretty happy, pretty comfortable, pretty confident. You know, we know our systems. We're doing the things that we always do because they work. And then somebody comes in and they make a change, and we go through a psychological and like an emotional curve about change. And it can be denial. I mean, there's there's a whole curve. I can give it to you. There's this whole curve that people go through. It's kind of like the curve of like grief almost. Like they're you lose something. So if they are used to using an old system, they're going to have to lose that system. And people hate to lose things and change, right? So helping them through that curve to get them to refreeze to a new normal is super powerful. But it's not going to happen unless they want to. So first, just ha- you, gotta, you gotta have that conversation, like what's holding you back? Well, I don't want to, something else is working. Understand that they're gonna go through this curve, hopefully. <laughs> if they don't go through the curve, you know, there's always that point where, as our cultures evolve in companies, if we don't have the people in the right place with the company culture, at some point, they've gotta find a new culture, right? And that sounds kind of harsh, but you gotta have like motivational fit for your organizations, people that fit into the culture that you want to create. So if you've got people saying, you know what, this is the way I'm doing it, I don't want to do what you guys are doing, well maybe they're just not the right fit. If they're just struggling because they're, they don't like change, understanding that there is like this, this is lo- there's a loss going on, they're gonna lose something, and we hate to go through that, but if we can help them through that change curve, it, you'll get them to a new normal and then they might embrace it. That's but good. It might take some time. Yeah, that's good. And I want to be clear, like it's not, I don't, it's not necessarily like always a generational thing. Like Could I be said, anybody. Like, yeah, like the the other gentleman that worked with us. I mean, he was mm-hmm. he was a young guy. He just did not uh, did not want to participate in the external events and cultural events and that kind of thing because it was just outside of his comfort zone. So mm-hmm. I think just trying to get people to get used get used to change, right? Because mm-hmm. the only thing that is constant is change. Yeah, I mean, change happens everywhere, but we also have to respect people's values, we have to respect people's desires, their personalities. People are different. Right. Everybody's and that's what different. I think that's where I think the conflict is for me mm-hmm. because like I want to be respectful of that, but I also want to help my team members grow. And I know that the way growth happens is by getting outside of your comfort zone and doing the things that you don't necessarily want to do. And I, I think that the quicker, you know, if it doesn't take a year to get everybody on Slack, right. <laughs> right? Or whatever, or whatever the case is, and actually be like, "Yo, like we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this as a team. This is why. This is why it's important to the organization and where we're going." And yada yada. Like, 
like, let's go. If we can cl- do this in two weeks and get moving. See, I, I would be that person. Huh? I would be that person. Okay. I mean, I don't mind change, but technology, I'm a slow adopter. I'd be like, wait, why do we have to do this? <laughs> and secretly behind your back, I would use another system <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> I don't know. See, I, I think just an observation for me, it's, it's perception matters a lot more now than it used to. And so when it's that accountability thing, it's like you, you want to give somebody you don't necessarily want to force them into something that maybe they're not comfortable with, no matter if it's an app or whatever. But if you let somebody else play by a certain set of rules, now other team members are saying, well, why didn't you, or why do you let that person get away with that? And and it hasn't always felt like that. Like, I mean, years ago, I, I felt like people were more just concerned about themselves and what their relationship with their employer was like, and what works for me works for me. And now it's like, well, you let that person get away with that, or well, what about this person? So that perception thing becomes a lot more, uh, is like the elephant in the room. So when you're making these decisions about, you know, do you make somebody do this? Do you terminate them if they don't, you know, participate? Or do you like allow them because they're, old and not super technology savvy, like you let them get away with it, you know? Just because someone's not technology savvy doesn't mean they're old. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But we're still Sorry. talking about in this yeah, like okay. hypothetical yeah, situation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this hypothetical. Oh man. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it could seem like a, a double standard. So I think that's, you know, leadership is an art, right? So if you're the leader of a team and you have that situation, it's very artful how you navigate through it. So is it an expectation that every, let's say it's, hey, we're having this event and it's the expectation that everybody must attend. Well, then that's just an expectation. And if you say, well, Mike doesn't have to go because he doesn't want to, he doesn't like it, then your expectations being like, you know, disrespected almost like they're not. So you have to understand, like, is it an expectation or just the culture that you want to create? Because if everybody knows it's the expectation, then then there's an accountability for for the actions, if that makes sense. We could talk about this. This is a very chunky topic. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it too, so let's just keep going. So my whole thing is like, <laughs> um, how do you be empathetic to something that you like, or sympathetic, I don't even know the right word, the right context, but like, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to be 60 plus years old yet, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, cause I'm 37. Mm-hmm. So I try to put myself in the shoes of that individual, right? So I can try to understand where where they're coming from or, you know, when other when other team, like kind of what he was saying, like when other team members were to see that, that that person and almost feel like oh man this person's getting special treatment or you know and that and I don't think that's I don't think that's the case at all uh, I don't think the person's getting special treatment I I'm looking at it as like dude like <laughs> I mean none of us none of us know what it's like to be sixty five years old you know what so you're using <laughs> age but I'll say it could be anything right? right like it could be so I do in in a workshop that I run yeah and I'm not trying to like pick on age I'm just yeah like, no but it's it's a great um, distinction it, because this is just a very clear yeah, yeah in my head as to something that I, I've had to deal with and so it's just a good hypothetical. Yeah, <laughs> it's health. It's a lot of things. Not I mean, hypothetical. I, you know, grow, uh, growing up through a restaurant when I was 16 years old, I thought it was whack that this guy got to like write the times of this on the cigarette that he was gonna go smoke them. And I was like, just because I don't smoke, I don't get a break. Like this is ridiculous. So like, oh, that's yeah. a good example. you know, it's just I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I think there's a, always stigmas. Awareness is the only thing you can do, right? So there, I was gonna tell you, there's a workshop that I do where I I take people and I categorize. I, I, intentionally categorize them alike. So I put them into groups of people that are just like them. They self-select the group, but they go into groups of people that are just like them. And then I ask them questions and I help them see, like across the room, the people that are across the room are very different. And then we start asking like, how, how would you like, if you had conflict, for example, how would you deal with it? And in each group of like-minded people, they all answer the same thing, but across the room at a different group, they're like, oh, we would never do that. And so just that conversation in these distinct groups 
helps raise the awareness that, you know, the way I operate is not going to be the way you operate. And now I understand it. Mm -hmm. And so you talk about empathy. That's really what that is. It's just understanding that you're different from me and that's how you operate. And, you know, if it's not an expectation, just having that understanding can go a long way. Sounds like conversations Ooh. I have with Allison all the time, actually. <laughs> Does it? Yes. Uh. I'm pretty sure we were talking about that the other day. But just, she's very process-oriented. Um, and I think a lot of times, and uh, I mean, she's she's amazing at what she does, but it's like mm -hmm. whenever we talk about, you know, our, our struggles or the things that, you know, we haven't got... I always feel like she's trying to make me do, handle things the way that she would handle them. I'm like, that works for you. It's not necessarily the way it works for me. Um, so we also often have to have that kind of conversation about, um, you know, it's like I can, I can empathize with the situation you're in, and I hear that you're presenting a solution, and it's like I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it, but it's with a lot of methodology that it's like tailored to her and her skill sets, and. Not to sound like I wouldn't want to develop those skills myself, but it just doesn't like fit in my wheelhouse or the way I would handle something. Yeah. And so it it's interesting from a feedback perspective because she is a peer and somebody that I that I trust that's like we almost butt heads about like leadership techniques and stuff like that at some points. Hmm. I mean there's so many examples. Like there's um you know, if you think about, have you ever read the book, The Five Love Languages, mm -hmm. right? It's about how we want to be treated, how our cup is filled, right? Then if we think about there's a book called by Tony Alessandra called The Platinum Rule. Have you ever heard of this, The Platinum Rule? It's basically, it's kind of like the golden rule, but it's do unto others as they would have them done unto themselves or something like that. Basically treat people how they want to be treated versus how you want to be treated. And human nature, because we're human, we do things the way we want them to do. Mm -hmm. Like we, we treat people the way we want to be treated. So it's just not, it's not human nature for us to think that way. We have to kind of flip it on its head and think about, wait a minute, what would Colin want? And actually when I was in, first in sales, that was the first thing that we learned, is that in sales, if you're trying to sell something, trying to influence somebody, the first thing that you gotta do is think about how would they like it? Mm -hmm. And aren't we always in sales? Like yeah. everybody's in sales all the time, even if we're not selling a product, you know? This has been fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> I don't know if I've never heard that word come out from this yet, but I like it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just good stuff. So, I mean, we need to wrap up in a minute, but mm -hmm. like before we do, what do you what would you say is the biggest challenge facing leaders of today? I think just noise. Noise. Yeah, there's so much there's so much out there, you know, and people want um, we want information when we want it. So for example, if I wanna learn how to, and this is a weird example I know, but if I wanna make a cake, and I need to learn how to make a cake, I will go to YouTube, or I'll go to some video somewhere to find out the recipe, I'll watch a tutorial. I can get it on demand when I need it. And there's so much noise, and some of the noise, we don't know how valid the noise is. I mean, there's a lot of people that do what I do that I'm not even sure, like, no one's ever asked me, like, hey, what's your credentials? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so we, we don't know necessarily what's, um, you're looking at my credentials, aren't you? No. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but we don't really know, like, there's so much noise out there that, and people are getting information on demand when they want it, when they need it, that as a leader, it's hard to, like, know, you know, what people are thinking or feeling or where they're getting their information or what's making them tick or what's motivating them. There's so much out there. Yeah. And I think that's a, probably a challenge for, I know for or, an organization that I used to work for is we would, we would want to help people grow in their roles, but give them the tools necessary. But it was just, we didn't, fi we couldn't figure out how to funnel it in from all of the places that we can get it. So. Okay. Hmm. Like it. Noise. Mike, what's the biggest challenge facing you as a leader right now? Uh, holding people accountable. Yeah. Accountability is, is for me, like the, the hardest thing. And it's like my biggest challenge that I, I probably focused on for 2020 and, and trying to improve. And, and a lot of it, honestly, it's accountability for myself, too. Um, I would say that's the biggest challenge. And, and kind of speaking to the earlier topic, too, it's just like what what do you choose to let slip and not versus is, is it is it as a. Uh, you don't let core values slip, but on an individual basis, it's 
What hill do you want to die on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's so interesting that you bring that up because literally the last two clients that I've worked with, we've done all the work we've done has been on accountability. So maybe that is really, maybe I'm wrong and that's really what is most prevalent in, you know, with leadership well, challenges. I, do you feel like it's cyclical? I mean, do you feel like yeah. that's by, by design that people would struggle with it at the same time? Or, or like in, in your experience, is, is it always like a, a theme of the year or is it just businesses are different, facing different things at different times? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, there's definitely, you know, when a book comes out on a certain topic, things become hot topics, sure. right? Um, so maybe a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah. The, the word of 2020 is vision. It's <laughs> not vision. <laughs> Hindsight. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the topic of accountability comes up a lot. It does, yeah. And... I've I've started creating some cool processes and I'll I'll share them with you too. Like, but I've been using and I'm going over it with our repaint team tomorrow, um, just with how I'm using ClickUp to like track goals and then hold myself accountable to those goals and setting them on deadlines and like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'll let everybody know next year if it works or not. <laughs> how we do? Report so card. Uh, but can I just add one thing? Yeah, please. So on this whole topic of accountability, it, it does go back though. I mean, with all that stuff, you can't make people do anything. So there's a fallacy that we can hold people accountable. Mm. We can't hold people accountable. I mean, we can track and measure and provide consequences, but with all of that, people got to want to do what they do. And so accountability is really like a personal thing. So I can put you guys through the workshop if you want. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do you do that locally with local companies? Because you're typically traveling a lot, right? Most so. of my company, or most of the companies I work with are outside of Gainesville. I, I've got one that I'm starting to work with here, and that's actually the topic that we're going to be starting with. Okay. So maybe it's a Gainesville thing. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so where should, I mean, what resources are would you point like local leaders to? I mean, there's just local companies saying, hey, all right, like if they were gonna focus on investing into their leadership in 2020, where would you tell them to start? To call me. <laughs> Where's the <Nice>. second place? <laughs> I mean, Where's on. the second free version? <laughs> oh, I'm gosh. just kidding. Um, no, I mean, that, that's, I mean, I, I agree. And, and I think, you know, actually kind of pointing back to what I, the, the, what I did with Kristen at her event the last two days, I mean, I, I, we as leaders don't do that enough. We don't, we don't invest into our own uh, leadership and taking the time to do that. I was out, you know, cause we look at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like how many emails and business, like mm-hmm. meetings and all the, all the things that I have to do that aren't getting done right now, you know, that's going mm-hmm. through your head and we just don't carve out that time. But I'm like really glad that I carved out that time and invested into myself because it is going to be better for the teams long-term and, you know, and uh, in hell, short-term. Um, but we just don't do that enough. Mm. Like we don't invest into our leadership. Yeah, I think it's a cultural thing. I've worked in different countries and in, in Europe um, specifically, those companies spend a ton of time reflecting. And I always joke, well, that's because you, that's why you get nothing done. Like that's was a joke. <laughs> and of course they're very successful and profitable and that's not true at all. But they, we would always joke about it. Like, you know, I would come to a, some conclusion and they'd say, Vicki, you know, reflection is really powerful. And, and in the US, you guys are so quick to act and you guys like to be so busy all the time mm. with tasks that you guys don't take time to reflect. So this is one person, but it could be a cultural thing too. I mean, we are very, you know, we've got KPIs and, you know, lists and check all of these things. Do we spend enough time reflecting? Probably not. And you, it sounds like you experienced that today. Yeah. I definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. It was great. It was great. I mean, shout out to Kristen for putting that on. I mm-hmm. think they have plans to do more of that kind of stuff in 2020, and um, it was it was excellent. So, do you find it easier to consult with the uh, international companies or American companies, or does it matter? It doesn't matter. Okay. I think that the biggest difference is um, language. Sometimes the language gets in the way, um, but in terms of interpretation of things, but. I think people are people. And so is there, I mean, is there a perfect client for you? I mean, or do you consult with all different sizes of businesses and and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I say perfect, I think that perfect is more of a a fit that 
if they called me and said, hey, we don't really care what topic you do, just come in because we want to train our people, that's not really for me. Like, I don't really want to be part of, I mean, you know, beggars can't be choosers, right? I'm a consultant, so I have to take the the opportunities when I can. But ideally, and I, the perfect client is just they're a good fit. They truly, they want to... Uh, they want to pull the levers within the business using training and development with their leaders um, so that they can make a difference. Like they're not just doing training to do training. That's the perfect client. So it doesn't matter what size or location. It's a matter of why they want to do it. That's the perfect client for me. Okay, that's cool. We're going to do a session with Vicki in 2020. Can't we? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be awesome. We're going to do it on accountability. Yeah. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. I mean, this is, it just, it's kind of cool to like, I mean, I know that we're recording on December 11th. This goes out January 20th. I get it. Um, but like to be talking about this subject material for us kind of as we approach the new year um, and to establish this new friendship, been hustling a month of script writing and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. And then to kind of, you know, wrap it up with with this podcast as we head into the holidays it's and it's, it's fun cool. to be on this side i'm not i've yeah. never right. been on this side I, of the it, podcast it, it, it yeah. is very, isn't it kind of strange it's super when you're strange like hosting all the i feel time. like i need to ask some questions yeah i was on i was on a podcast not too long ago and i was like man this is like very unique it's yeah. all these questions are really good so i'm just happy i can still get some uh leadership boots added to my christmas sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get those kilimanjaro boots yeah. man need some leadership boots yeah so um where could our audience connect with you email you find your website whatever like where's where, where can they yeah so my up? website is www.etcinleading so my company's name is essential training concepts so it's etcinleading.com I am, if you want to search me on Facebook or Instagram, it's at Ignite Podcast. If you just do a search on those, it pops up. On Twitter, I'm Vicky at, uh, at, at Vicky1260 because Ignite was already taken. Someone's holding it <laughs> hostage. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks again so much for coming on. Thanks I'm for having like, me. I'm like, have a wonderful 2020. You too. Uh, Vision 2020. <laughs> this is Colin Austin, and this is 2020. <laughs> and uh, Gainesville World, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. This is the WHOA GNV podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I pointed. There it is. We will see you later. Bye. <laughs>